Welcome to Light It Up, a podcast about resilient women balancing motherhood, their careers, personal lives, and all of the challenges that come along with being a superwoman. Each week, you'll be motivated to take action to lead, inspire, transform, and empower. Now, here's your host, Dr. Regina Mashira. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Light It Up. I am your host, Dr. Regina Mashira. I want to thank you for tuning in once again to Light It Up. This week, we are going to continue the conversation. I've been uh, interviewing a few men about their experience as fathers. Um, And I have another very special guest this week on Light It Up, Mr. Derek Robinson who is a photojournalist for ABC7 here in Chicago. Welcome to Light It Up, Derek. Hi, Gina. how are you? Doing well, thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest today. Um, So before we get into our topic, first, you know, I wanna thank you for for agreeing to share your story. You have a story that I think, um, you know, people will, want to hear. As you know, I've interviewed a couple of other um, Black fathers, and as I shared with you, the purpose in doing these episodes is to change the narrative of Black fatherhood, because oftentimes there seems to be a negative connotation. And I know quite a few excellent fathers, and so I uh, asked if you would join uh, the the podcast and share your experience as a father, specifically as a single dad now. Uh, But before we get into that, why don't you tell um, the audience about yourself? You know, I won't won't say my age, but uh, I am a I am a photojournalist slash broadcast engineer with ABC7. I've been doing this mm, since college, so roughly over 30 years. Uh, member of Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity, uh, graduate of Grambling State University, uh, father of three kids, uh, ages 30, two boys, two men, ages 30, 25, and uh, my baby girl who's a 16-year-old junior. So pretty much that's it. Good old alpha man. (laughs) (laughs) So let me just ask you, um, uh, did you always know that you wanted to go into um, the media industry? You know, I was kind of a weird kid. Like I was attracted to news ever since I was younger. Like my allowance, I'll go back. If it was like, if I was out of school for the day, like if Christmas break or, or, summer vacation, I would buy a newspaper every day, sometimes every day. I watched uh, TV news faithfully, especially Channel 7. Uh, so I always kind of knew I um, wanted to do this. And I think um, it was one story in particular. It, backtrack a little bit. The 80s was, you know, it was a very exciting time for Black Chicago, you know, Chicago. Mm-hmm. And I say a brief period, Mm, between 83 and 87, we had um, Harold Washington becoming mayor, first black mayor, uh, Oprah Winfrey and Michael Jordan emerging, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the 85 Bears, 
And I think it kind of ended with Harold Washington passing unexpectedly in 87, but it was um, one story in particular during the time period, uh, and that was the death of uh, Ben Wilson. And for those who don't know, Ben Wilson was like the number one uh, rated player in the nation uh, and went to Simeon High School. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was killed by another teenager. And I remember watching the media coverage of that. And uh, it really hit me, you know, and I said, man, I think I think I want to do this, you know? Wow. So that kind of set the path for me. And then to, for the news station, ultimately, you know, to work for the news station that you kind of grew up watching news anchors. Right, right. right. And not just that, but another funny story is our, our street size studio that uh, you won't see much of it now because of COVID and they have the, you know, curtains down and everything, but anybody that knows we have a street size studio and you, you can watch the newscast or you used to be able to watch the newscast from the street. Yeah. That actually was a movie theater when we were growing up, the State and Lake Theater. What? It was actually, actually one of my favorite, that theater and the one across the street of Chicago Theater were my two favorite theaters growing up. And actually that was my favorite block. Uh, downtown growing up and then I had an opportunity to work on that block that's that's special so it's kind of full circle for you right full circle exactly so so let's get into um because before we get into your experience as a father I'd Mm -hmm. like to ask you about your own childhood growing up so did you Mm -hmm. up with both your mother and your father both my mother and father both Mississippi residents they, they were country as all get out, but they were the best parents. They really were, you know, hardworking, dedicated. They were about their family. Uh, they were no nonsense. You didn't, you they they didn't take much mess, and you they didn't stand for mediocrity. But I, I couldn't ask for two better parents. And if you were about your business, oh, they looked out for you. It's nothing you couldn't ask for if you were about the business. And that's what I learned. I learned to, you know. Stay on your business and good things will come to you. You know, don't no slack, don't become lackadaisical. Uh, my mother's still alive, thank God. Mm-hmm. Uh, I lost my father in my last semester of college in Gra- at Grandma. I actually left home on a Tuesday only to have a policeman knock on my door because um, uh, for some reason I was. I was waiting for, we, were, we had a house and we were trying to get it cleaned out. So I was staying with a fraternity brother and my roommate came to the door with a policeman and they told me that my father had passed. So that, that hit me hard. That hit me real hard. And that was 28 years ago, but you know, it's your father, you know, you know, you know I miss him like it happened yesterday, you know? Yeah, you know, I know. So, and uh, with grief, there is, um, I tell people there's no time limitation in terms of how long you will grieve the passing of someone that, um, that you've lost. Right, um, right, right. What, how was your relationship with your father? Do you think that, um, what were some things that you learned from him or that maybe you've incorporated well, he was he was a, he was a hard man. Like he was hard, but like I said, he was a very fair man. If you were about your business, it's nothing he wouldn't do for you. I mean, nothing you couldn't ask for. But he was he put family first. You know, my father wasn't the type of man. He didn't, you know, some fathers would go out drinking, and he never did that. He might stop by and see a friend and have a beer, maybe. But all that staying out late and and 
and, and going out every weekend. He was, he was strictly about the business, about, you know, how much money he could put into our household, you know, how you bond with him and my mother, you know, they were all about saving, you know, so the financial aspect was there. It was never argument about finances or anything, you know, just basically how to take care of your family, you know, you know, dedication to your family and, and, and they come first, your kids come first. You know, he showed me the, you know, the value of hard work, you know, and, you know, for him to be a child of Mississippi and especially Jim Crow, Mississippi, he never let racism get to him. He, he just, you got to take care of yourself. You got to do what's necessary. You know, no excuses, you know. So let's talk about Derek as a father. So you were, um, you mentioned you have three children two adult mm -hmm. sons and a doctor who's 16. Right. And you were also, you were married. Exactly. And your wife, Alice, passed away. Unexpectedly. Unexpectedly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Talk to us um, about that. Well, I, let me take you back to December 18th, uh, 2017. It was um, uh, early, not... I, I would say winter, the early winter uh, uh, night, kind of cool, but not too, not not like freezing cold. And I remember um, I had to go to United Center and do some stuff, with the, some things with the Bulls after the game, like locker room interviews. Mm -hmm. I coming home from work. I remember I was tired, for, you know, very tired. And I remember coming home and sitting on the couch. And then I drifted off to sleep. And I heard her come down the steps. But it was, she was very quiet when she came down the steps, like, like a church mouse almost, but it woke me up. Mm -hmm. I remember she had my daughter binder in her hand. She must've been going to put it on the table so she could put it in a book bag in the morning. And she came downstairs and she just told me, Derek, why don't you come get in the bed and go to bed? You know, uh, I said, I didn't say anything. I, I didn't say anything. I just looked at her and she went into the kitchen. She came back out the kitchen and walked up the steps and turned the corner. That was the last time I saw her alive. But one thing that struck me as weird is I never took my eyes off of her. And like, I didn't say anything, but I just stared at her as she walked up the steps. And even at the moment, I couldn't understand in my brain, why are you doing that, you know? Mm -hmm. So at 4.45 um, the following morning, uh, I heard what I thought was snoring, but it actually sounded like just air coming out. So I called her name twice and I was, I'm thinking she's snoring. No, I'm like, this is weird. I never heard a snore like this. And um, she didn't respond. Turned the light on and she was unresponsive. Just eyes were open, but unresponsive. So I called the ambulance. My daughter woke up. She started calling family. Um, Homewood police, uh, Homewood, Illinois, where I live, I think the policeman was here under three minutes. He, he got here so quick. Ran upstairs, we put on the floor, we tried to revive her, then everybody started coming, paramedics and more policemen. Um, uh, my first inkling that there was a problem was I saw how one paramedic looked at the other one. He gave them. So they took her out, policemen pulled me to the side and talked to me, he said, just take your time, put your clothes on, meet us up there. He, she, he said, don't rush up there, don't try to follow in the ambulance, just, Please, we, we'll take care of you when you get up there. 
So by the time I got there, family, some family was there already. My daughter and I got to the hospital. Uh, and then a lot of family started showing up. Um, they put us in a room and then a chaplain came in and introduced himself. When that chaplain came in, I, I, I kind of knew, but I, I still had hope, you know? Then the doctor came in and we talked and the doctor said we were able to get her heart rate back up, but she has no brain activity. If we kept her on the machine, she'd just be a vegetable. So then we made the decision, they said, we'll keep working on it and see, but it doesn't look good. And so um, I remember at that point, it hit me like a ton of bricks and being in that room and all like punches coming at me, all type of dogs came in my head like, oh my God, my wife isn't here anymore. Uh, I'm not gonna be with her anymore. Uh, um, what about the kids? You know, how are they gonna react? But the one thought that I remember still in my head was my daughter was off to the side with my uh, sister-in-law, some more relatives. And I remember I cut my eyes over at her in my head. I said, oh my God, I gotta raise her by myself. How am I gonna do this? You know? And uh, they worked on it a little more and then, you know, pronounced it there. Uh, by that time, so much, I mean, co-workers started coming up to the hospital. I mean, we had the, like, the whole emergency room. It was just us, just co-workers and family and everything. And that's when the reality set in. Yeah. That is, um, yeah, that's a, that's a very hard reality. And, you know, mm -hmm. I have um, had that same type of scenario, mm -hmm. scenario mm -hmm. um, well, and then having to, um, to experience that is, it's really undescribable. So I really appreciate yeah. actually yeah. Um, being willing to, to share that. And mm -hmm. your, your daughter was what, 13? She's 13 at the time in, in eighth grade, you know, and two boys away at school at the time and getting the word to them that, yeah, you know, hey, you know, it's, in fact, I don't think my oldest found out till he uh, arrived at Midway. Okay. My, my sister-in-law told me, yeah. yeah. And you and um, your wife were together for a pretty long time. Right? Yeah, we were prom dates, high school prom dates. Yeah, yeah, so we, we met in 88, yeah. Wow. Long time. So how do you, you mentioned that, you know, obviously that hit you like a ton of bricks. You weren't prepared for that. Right. It was unexpected um, to your knowledge. Mm -hmm. Wasn't ill or, or Not anything. At all. Not at all. And I assume that she probably, at least with your daughter, being the only one, you know, in the house, that she, mm -hmm. the one, the, the caretaker, you know. You know, yeah, I mean, she worked a full-time job too. Uh, by the grace of God, it, the job was only 10 minutes away from the house. So she was able to be there for my daughter and everything, but she pretty much, yeah, I mean, she took, cause I worked a lot of hours, she took care of the house. Right, right. So how did you, um, you know, with that initial shock, what, how did you begin to make the transition to now having to be the sole, I guess, 
caretaker mm-hmm. for your daughter. Right. It was it was rough, but I could say I had people to help me. First and foremost is my mother. My mother pretty much just started staying with us Monday to Friday, mm-hmm. helping out. That was a tremendous help. And then my sister-in-law, my wife's sister, mm-hmm. and uh, my sister have been, they have, they have been fabulous. So that's, without those three, I don't know what I would have did. No. Not just because they're there for my daughter, but also they bring the, you know, the womanly aspect that she right. needs, you know? Right, right. You know, so they've been a, they, it, without them, I don't know what I would Yeah, because this is a very, I mean, 13 to 16, you know, it's a very pivotal time for, mm-hmm. um, for a young, for a young lady. Uh, right. So, right. so what type of, um, in terms of, so then how did you begin to balance work, parenting? I know you have your mother, your sister and your sister-in-law's um, helping. Mm-hmm. What did that look like in, in terms of? Well, I mean, they were there for the most part with, um, you know, the everyday, you know, taking on activities and everything, but I had to keep abreast of things that was happening at school. But I, I have to give her credit. She's very mature and, you know, it's not like anything goes past her where like, Danielle, what, this happened at school. Why didn't you tell me about this again? She's on top of it. So I've never had that problem, but definitely, you know, trying to be more in tune with teachers and administration or what's going on with the school and everything uh, that's that's been kind of different because my wife really kept you know abreast of that stuff mm-hmm. but that's 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 been kind of uh difficult i mean just and running her on a lot you know a lot you know lot running a lot of errands for her or with her you know special weekends like i didn't always have to do that because my wife was here to do right. it i'm constantly running back and forth and or the phone calls at work. Uh, uh, I need this. I need that. Uh, this and that, and this is what's going on. I, I get maybe a phone call every half hour. So <laughs> okay. So, yeah. So what? How would you describe your your parenting style? Hey, I'm I'm a little bit like my father. I can get frustrated sometimes. I mean, that's the old school way. Mm-hmm. But like, my father was an excellent provider. And he's a good man, but uh, he could be short with, uh, you know, with that temper, you know. Mm-hmm. And also, he wasn't—he wasn't much of a nurturer. And I think a lot of fathers from that era, era, just weren't much of—they weren't nurturers, you know. Mm-hmm. But I had to kind of, you know, because we are—we've my daughter and I have always had a great relationship since she, since she was born, you know. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you know, like. She would play doctor with me with the stethoscope and all that and fix me fake food and all that. So we've always had that that relationship. So I'm a little more calm. Like, it, you know, I, I don't know if she's going through something. Is it hormones? Uh, are you just being a typical teenager? <laughs> you know, so I try to balance it and, and, and be calm when I deal with her. You know, every now and then I get upset, but you know, I try to backtrack, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do, do you ever find yourself, because um, I, I kind of hear this, regardless as to the reason why a parent is parenting solo, right? But mm-hmm. 
I hear sometimes, and I know I have been, I don't know if I want to use the term guilty of it, but do you ever find yourself trying to overcompensate? Of course. Yeah, you got to remember because I know she doesn't have a mother, so you do try to overcompensate. But I, I think about it. We have our mothers in our lives, you know. Mm-hmm. I have to face the fact that her mother won't watch her walk across a, a high school, college stage. She won't help her pick her prom dress, won't help her decorate a dorm room. They won't have to talk about boys, you know, men and relationships, uh, won't help her pick a wedding dress. All that stuff I, I think about. So yeah, I try to overcompensate and try to be there for her, but so do, you know, my mother is the same way. She tries to overcompensate and help and, you know, help her. Just mm-hmm. so old fashioned that they sometimes don't connect. Yeah. For me, you know, when I was growing up, so. So what has been, um, I guess, as a, as a father of, um, well, with your sons, let's talk about them too, because um, you, how was your, your parenting style with them? Do you, did it differ because they're both? Oh, most definitely it differed. I was harder. And I, I'd probably say I was probably harder on the oldest more so than any of them. And because I was younger and I thought I had to be, but definitely I was much harder on him than I think anybody that's the oldest could tell you that they were harder on me than they were, to say, my younger brother or sister. So my style was different. You learn over time, you know, you know, everything isn't, I think the biggest problem sometimes with parents, we're so quick to discipline, discipline and we, we think that this kid's listening because he's being disrespectful or he's just a bad kid. And we something we gotta understand they go through things too. We don't let, ever know what's going through their head. And you know what a child might be listening, you don't know what problem he's going through. You know, I mean you just sometimes you gotta take a step back. Now you know some things you gotta get on a child about. We know that, but sometimes I think we gotta take a step back and evaluate before we just go off and start, you know, because you don't know what they're going through. Right. <laughs> Now, what, why, what would you say is um, the most rewarding thing about being a father? I think when you see them do well, you know, especially my daughter, like right now, through everything, she's a, she's a student, you know, and honors and, and uh, AP classes. So that, that really makes, you know, that, that makes me very happy does my heart well to see because I'm gonna tell you uh she's been so strong for some of that I, I know I wasn't gonna be that strong at 13 if I would have lost my mom I, I just don't think I would have been and I, that's why I really worried about because she was uh, she's always been on the road student mm-hmm. she, during the time her mother passed she was taking high school classes in eighth grade you know so I just thought oh my god I hope this doesn't end I hope it doesn't affect her mentally and we got her counseling, but she's she's hung in there. And she's been doing well. So when you see them doing well, especially um, uh, doing well during adverse situations and everything, that makes you feel good. You know? now, now, I know you just, you just mentioned um, that you made sure that your daughter had counseling. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to raise this point since I'm talking to a Black man. Mm-hmm. Now, have you yourself 
gone through counseling since the passing? Uh, no, and I should have, but the problem is I'm worried about everybody else. I probably should have. And I don't think it's too late to have counseling. And I probably will, but I just haven't had a chance. Okay. Had a chance. Okay. And you know, I have to throw that out. I just, I did um, a few episodes, um, you know, focusing on um, the importance of counseling and we've touched on grief and that sort of thing. So just want to throw that question out there for you. Okay. <laughs> so what else can you tell me um, in terms of your experience? Um, what has, I guess, some of the challenges been with, um, you know, being in this situation? I guess some of the challenges are, I mean, you just don't have your mate anymore. And it could be lonely at times, you know, and again, me putting others before me, I don't so much worry about myself, but I do worry about my daughter and I, you know, having that, having her mother, they were so close, you know, when I say they were close, they were close. I would have to come home and get her out of my bed, <laughs> you know, they, you know, she would always fall asleep watching TV with her mother, but you, you do worry about that. And um, I, I, I guess I worry about her not having that, that, that mother figure here and, um, I guess other challenges, uh, like you said, one thing you said, over, trying to overcompensate. Mm -hmm. That's another thing. And, and just trying to keep the household together. Yeah. 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 And I'm pretty sure it's not enough time in the day either. <laughs> to, yeah, not enough time in the day. Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah. So um, as what, I guess, what can you share if there's, um, you know, a man who's going through a similar situation right now, what advice would you give to a father who has to unexpectedly begin to um, raise his children on his own? Know that you're more than, you're enough. You're enough. It's going to seem difficult. You're going to, you might question God. You're wondering it seemed like chaos around you, wondering what happened, but know that you're enough. And no matter how bleak the situation looks, how lonely you feel, know that you can, you, you can, you can do this. You can do this. It's going, it's going to be days. It's days I wake up and I'm like, I feel exhausted. I can't believe I'm in this situation. And, and but I, you know, I, I, I pray and I just move forward. Trust me, it's, it's days I'm very frustrated I'm by myself, you know. Mm -hmm. I say it again, not necessarily for me, but knowing that I'm raising, you know, a daughter by myself who, because I, I worry about her, if anything, knowing that she doesn't have a mother here. Right. You know, I mean, your child of divorce, you, you still have both parents, you know. Mm -hmm. But, um, if I could tell that father anything, just hang in there. It, 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 you can do it. Hang in there. Yeah. 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 I, and, and I was just throwing this in there because you had a support system. Right. Too. So I'm sure that that is extremely important to right. have a support system. Not, and not just a support system with, with, with family, my frat, my friends, I could tell you, especially 
going outside of family, uh, physical family, blood relatives, my Gramlin family, uh, my fraternity brothers, and my my uh, Channel Seven family were fantastic to me. I mean, they really were there for me, and they still continue to be there. Yeah. Um, so that's been a blessing. That's good. And I've had the the uh, I guess the good pleasure of meeting some of the Graham fam. Uh, <laughs> with something else, aren't we? Yes, yes. <laughs> That's the beauty of attending an HBCU. You know, yes. I can't relate with my PWI education. <laughs> right, 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 right. I, one of the best decisions in my life. So, um, another question that I wanted. Um, to ask you while I still have um, have you here. Um, as far as, um, I guess, um, lessons that you learned from your, from your father, um, as far as parenting is concerned, um, what, what was the greatest lesson that you learned from him um, as a father? You make your own way in this world, you know, no excuses. I mean, we all are going to go through bumps in the road. And we're all going to go through bad situations where you, you control your destiny. Like I said, he was a child of Mississippi. I mean, he grew up, he was a teenager in 1950s Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And he rarely talks about racism. You know, he, um, he, he, you just got to make your own way. You got to transcend what, whatever comes your way, you just have to transcend. You know, mm-hmm. and that was pretty much it. Gotcha. gotcha. Oh, and also the hard work uh, <laughs> aspect. He, he, I'm a, I'm like a lazy bum next to uh, him. And I think I'm a pretty hard worker, but him, uh, I'm like a lazy, lazy bum compared to him with his work ethic. Well. One thing that I would like to encourage you is to make sure that you find the time to do some of the things that you enjoy, which I'm sure you you do. You right. have you've got to have balance. Right. So right. Important to um, have balance as you're navigating parenthood, and you know you've got you know the high school family support system has. You know, full disclaimer, our children actually go to school together. Right, right, right. Um, you know, there are folks looking out for you. Do you find that um, people, do you find that people try to help you out in terms of, you know, just like some of the parents in terms yeah, Especially of, in the beginning to the point that you had to say, you got the we're trying to figure this out on ourselves. So it just give us some time. I could do this for her. I could do this. I could take her to get her hair done. I could take her to the library. I could do Just give us time to figure it out ourselves. But I, I, I really saw it in the beginning. Yeah. I really saw it. Okay. So I, I, I really do thank you for thank you. just being so transparent and mm-hmm. for um, sharing your story. Um, like I said, I, you know, have had an opportunity to kind of watch you as a mm-hmm. parent. Um, and you are one of those fathers that I'm like, okay, doing a great job. Thank you. But Thank I, you. So I, you know, always want to try and make sure I highlight 
um, the positive that we do have because so often, as I stated before, you hear the negative stories. Exactly, you know. exactly. And, and not to interrupt you, it's amazing you said that like you, you hear so, so many negative stories about black men. And I, and I thought to myself, you know, growing up, all I saw was positivity with black men, positive, hardworking, strong black men. From my, started with my father, to my uncles on both sides of the family. I said, all I saw was hardworking men taking care of their family. I know nothing but that. I said, where is this narrative, narrative coming from? We do know there are people who are not taking care of business. Okay. But that's not just black fathers, that's in every aspect, every community, every ethnic group. But I mean, I can tell you maybe three guys from Channel 7 I know. One is deceased, one is retired, one is still currently uh, active. They all raised kids by themselves, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, people don't highlight things like that. So, um, you know what? As some- I'm, I'm sorry, it's four <laughs> that I knew who raised kids by themselves. Now, as someone who works in the media, mm-hmm. right? Um, what do you think is the reason that um, the positive um, the positive aspects of black men isn't highlighted? You know, I think I, I could tell you from our station, I think sometimes we highlight it more than it seems. So I've done quite a few positive stories on, on black men in the community doing uh, uh, doing a lot. I, I just think with anything, the negativity outshines the positive. That's how it is. From tabloids to everything, negativity outshines positivity. Positivity is being boring sometimes. You know, it's a lot of good fathers out here. Absolutely. A lot of good fathers. Yeah. And, and actually, just to highlight for people who may not recall this or who didn't know this, you um, this summer for Father's Day. I think Congressman Danny Davis, he highlighted um, Black Fathers and Mm -hmm. given an award. You had an opportunity to be on the other side of the camera. So so tell us about that too, because is that something, was that something, an initiative or something that was just started? It it was mainly Fathers on the West Side. And, uh, and, you know, the West Side gets a bad rep. Oh, yeah. It gets a it's a, it gets a bad rep. And uh, something he just wanted to start to highlight the fathers in the community, a lot of good fathers out there. You know, if you really think about it, if you paint the narrative there's so many bad fathers, it, it would be total anarchy and chaos in the street. We, a lot of these men are, are trying to keep the communities together. Yeah. You know, but there's something positive Danny Davis did and something he wants to continue doing. And I, you saw the video, a lot of men were celebrated. You know, they kind of they kind of bushwhacked me and made me get up and speak. I wasn't ready for that, but well, how, how did you feel being highlighted? Felt great. Yeah, I felt great. I mean, it, it, a little nervous. You know, I'm used to being behind the camera, not in front of it. You know, so it's a good thing. Well, we like to see you in front of the camera a little bit more, Derek. That might happen. I don't know what God has for me. That might happen. Maybe one day you could be my co-host. Okay. You got to go national and syndicated, though. Okay. <laughs> we, we can work on it. You can be the executive producer then. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Let me ask you another question as far as um, 
there's something that also became, um, that was recurring in my conversations with um, two of the other dads that um, I interviewed. Um, um, and they talked about their circle of friends, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the type of men or their friends um, that they interact with and how mm -hmm. all of them, all of their friends are good fathers. They're involved right. fathers. Right, right. Um, what's your, I mean, Exactly. And I guarantee you in that conversation, did any of them ever say if you was not a good father, they would have nothing to do with it, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's true. Everybody I know is is a good father, even the ones that may be separated from the child's mother, they're active in it uh, in their uh, kids' life. And it's like anything in life. You 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 it's who you surround yourself with. Greatness. Or, or mediocrity, you know? So for me to be a good father, I'm going to surround myself with other men who are good fathers, you know? Mm -hmm. I feed off them, they feed off me, you know? That's the only way I, I see it. I, I, I wouldn't celebrate or be friends with somebody I know purposely is abandoning his kid. Now, as, as a father, what, in your opinion, are the characteristics that makes a good father? What is a good father? Loving, patient, uh, protective. That's very important, protective. And motivator. You have to speak life into these kids. Well, we know these kids make us mad sometimes. But even at, at your darkest moment, you, you, you got to motivate them. You got to speak life into them. You have to pray over them. You know? You know, it's times my daughter, I'm going to my daughter's room and she's she's woken up with me standing over her and she's like, what you doing? You try, like, I'm trying to scare her. Scare her more. I'm standing over you, praying over you, you know? So, I mean, uh, those are just some of the characteristics, you know? Yeah. You know? But just motivate them and let them know they, they, they can do or be whoever they want to be, you know? Do or be anything, you know? Mm -hmm. I don't think there's enough motivation. We, we're quick to tear them down. And they're going to do things that make you mad, make you point and keep going. Don't beat them up with it. That's something I had to learn. Don't keep beating them over the head with it. You made your mistake before. Right. You know? Now, how are you, because your daughter's a junior, mm -hmm. got really a year and a half, give or take. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So are you prepared for her to go away to school? Listen, we, we, we talk, we know our kids want to go far from school. We, we know that much. Right. I'm going to play the hard role. Well, of course I'm going. I'm going to go in the corner and shed some tears one time, you know, but I want her to get away and do and, and live her life and, and, and do fantastic. Mm -hmm. You know, so in one aspect, I'm going to miss her, but in another aspect, I'm letting her go to go out there and conquer the world. So it is what it is. I still got a year and a half with her, but... Yeah, I know. I, I think about it sometimes. I don't. I don't want you to get all sad now. Um, I won't. I won't. I won't. And and I didn't mean to really focus so much on her because I know you do have two other children, but they are they grow. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, yeah. But but um, I do. 
there's a significant age difference between the two. There's a 14 year age difference between the oldest and the youngest. So certainly with that, you're you're you were more mature when you when um, your daughter was born in terms I was, of this. I was more mature, had more money in, in the bank. <laughs> so yeah, you know, I was a sophomore when my oldest was born. I was 34 and and, and traveling the world with ABC at, no, 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 let me change that. I was 20 years old and a sophomore when my son was born. A sophomore in college. College. I was 34 when she was born, wow. traveling the world with ABC. So, you know, it's a big significant difference. Yeah. You know, you live and learn. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely your parenting, I'm sure, evolved over. Oh, almost definitely. Uh, definitely. And then. You were blessed with a daughter and you know, daughters, especially when they're the youngest, you know what we do. Yeah, I know, I, I, I bet. That's right, wrap, wrap uh, around, our, around, around your finger, huh? Absolutely. <laughs> Trust me, I know. Are there any um, last thoughts that you'd like to share? Cause I know you've got things to do. You've got a busy schedule. I, I would like anybody, and I'm not speaking from a widower, widower aspect. We know there's a lot of couples that aren't together, that, that have children that aren't together. Put the pride to the side and, and say, we have to do what's best for these kids. I mean, these kids are going to go out there and contribute, you know, to society. You don't want any bitterness in them. You know, you don't want them angry and resentful. Just put your, put your pride to the side raise them the best you can. Just come together for that purpose mm. and, and, and raise them. You know, we had more in that, of that instead of so much division. I think things would be so much better in our community. So, and that's a whole nother that's show, is it? Uh-huh. But, yeah. but what I find to be very um, interesting, and it's Maybe it's the men that I've selected, you know, to talk to about this, but that's that topic right there about putting your pride to the side in order to co-parent, you know, right. positively. That's that's something that also came up in mm -hmm. in the other two interviews. Mm -hmm. um, and normally, from for me and my experience, I hear that from other single moms. Right. Right. And so it's interesting to hear it from a man mm -hmm. saying that. What do you think? I mean, because that's also easier said than than done too. You know, both parties have to want to put their pride, their ego to the side in order to, but how do you get to that point? You know what I mean? Communication. That's the only way you can get to the point is communication. Somebody has to come to the table first. Somebody's going to have to drop their pride and leave others out of your business. You don't need any outside agitators telling you what they, everybody's going to tell you what they would do, and they're not going to do anything. <laughs> you know, they already love giving you fake advice. If it was me, it's not you. So somebody has to be the big person and come to the table. Hey, we need to sit down. You know, now you can't make anybody bend to your will or make anybody talk, but it's a start. But we, if we're going to get anywhere, the division has to stop. Not just with parenting, but with everything. Well, they have to stop, you know? Well, that's excellent advice. Um, and hopefully 
we'll begin to take heed, you know, to that because we definitely, I think if if there isn't one thing that 2020 has not um, taught us, it should be that um, as a people, we need to become, we need to come together and right. come together. Right. On all, all, all yeah, because ultimately also our children collectively are suffering, the community yes, exactly. suffering when we are not, you know, working together. So. And then those two, those children eventually are going to grow up and produce children, and they're going to have bitterness and angriness. And I hear grown people my age complaining about what their father didn't do or what their mother didn't do, and I, you know, they didn't teach me this and teach me that. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it, it, it lingers. It's, there are lingering effects. Yeah, it certainly, it certainly is. And but we also need to make sure we work on healing you know you got to heal too um probably before you can even try to take that step to um develop you know the type of partnership with one another that that you need to like you gotta definitely kind of heal those wounds because I think all of us are hurting one way or another different you know areas of our lives right right exactly well Thank you so much, Derek. I really appreciate um, chatting with you. Maybe next time if I'll extend, well, first of all, I'll extend an invitation. Will you come back on the show again? Okay, thank you. And most definitely I'll come back. Yeah. Okay. We'll have to, I don't know, we'll find something to talk about. There are plenty of topics I'm sure we can, we can come up with. Come up with, exactly. All right, well. So thank you everyone for tuning in to this episode of Light It Up with my guest, Derek Robinson. I hope you enjoyed uh, today's episode and make sure you tune in next week. I'll have another very interesting guest. So I'll leave you as always. Don't forget to light it up and shine bright like a diamond. Thanks for joining me this week on Light It Up. Make sure you visit my website at www.lightituppodcast.com or www.ajinamohammed.com. You can also find me on social media using the handle at Light It Up Podcast. If you like what you've heard, please be sure to hit the subscribe button so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, I'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or you can simply tell a friend about the show. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Until next time, light it up and shine bright like a diamond.